I'm Dr. Jason Gessler. Long ago, I made a discovery that wasn't new at all. I learned that there's not a single person that you'll ever meet who you can't learn something from. In this podcast, I interview people from all walks of life and see what together we can learn from them. This is the Professor Anyone podcast. My guest professor today is Robert Lewis, goes by the name of Louis. Uh, Louis is the uh, owner of Quester Market Research. He is a business owner, an individual who works with a disability, and I'm so glad he's uh, joined us today on the podcast. Thank you, Louis, for, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Well, I would like to uh, get started by asking you a little bit about Quester, uh, your current company, and, and what it is and what it does, and how you got involved with that. I got involved with Quester in 2004 when uh, the bank asked me to get involved and do a turnaround. Uh, the owner had uh, cancer and was in remission at that point, but he was the sole arm for marketing, getting new business in. And so I came in in 2004, got him turned around and fixed, and then he passed away in 2005 and I bought the company with two other individuals. I've since then uh, bought those two individuals out. So we do marketing research for Fortune 100 and 500 companies. We're very fortunate to have probably 50 or 60 clients within the last year that are in that in that arena. Uh, from the big ones, Frito, Apple, Samsung. Domino's, we're very fortunate as a boutique company of 35 employees to have lots of well-known companies that we work with. So you got into Quester as, as a turnaround. You were turning around this business, this organization. Tell me a little bit about what, what that turnaround process looked like for you. Um, it's quite the process. I, in my turnaround years, I did 1,500 turnarounds with only 12 bankruptcies. You know, my approach was very different. Uh, there were a lot of situations from the farm crisis in the 80s that I took on as clients, both manufacturing companies, farmers, and individual storefronts. So no two were alike, and I developed an approach that uh, I used to hopefully get them fixed financially so that they could move on and prosper. So your business, your background, wasn't necessarily market research. It was turning businesses around. Correct. That is correct. I was an expert witness on probably 10 cases of the in the financial arena with divorces and business dissolution and whatever they might have been. But uh, honestly, I love the numbers, and I re used to read the Master Tax Guide upside down and backwards, and uh, I have... Not, I don't have a CPA degree or any uh, accounting background other than what I've just learned on my own. Can you walk me through your, your career path, how you chose to, to, to get in, in the business of turning businesses around and then, then into the business of market research? Well, my, my uh, journey has been unusual. My first big surgery was when I was 21 years old, and that kind of dictated the path that I was going to take. 
Uh, I had brain and spine surgery. I have what they call a Chiari malformation, which your uh, brain is too big for your skull, then it presses down on your brain stem and your spinal cord, and they ultimately get brain fluid in them and around them. So wherever the brain fluid was touching on my spinal cord, my nerves were dysfunctioning. So I lost the I lost the muscle mass in my hands and arms way early. I could still use them; they were functional. And then um, in 2006, my doctor that did the first surgery in 1974 wanted to get some scar tissue out. And so we had a very simple procedure, and I ended up getting post-surgical bacterial meningitis and lost the use of my hands and arms completely. I drove to surgery the day before, and that's the last time I've ever driven for all practical purposes, except at uh, the cemetery when my wife was trying to help me learn how to drive again. And danger, there was a few tombstones that were almost knocked over, so... I gave it up completely. Let me go back to your childhood. Tell me a story from your childhood that really factors into who you are today. Well, my parents were wonderful role models for work and ethics and, and honor. And so we were constantly learning. My mom is now 91, a consummate teacher. And she was teaching us something every day. Um, I remember when I was five or six, talking about the universe with mother and talking about God. And I didn't understand that, I couldn't comprehend that the universe went forever. I said, it's gotta quit, it's gotta stop. And she said, okay, Bobby, what, what happens at the end of the universe? What if there's a brick wall there? I said, well, yeah, there could be a brick wall. And she goes, what's on the other side of the brick wall? So starting at an early age, those were some of the conversations that we had. So um, I had quite an arena for learning growing up from the, the livestock to the crops to Mother Nature environment. So those are all very profound for me. I'm still uh, big into environmental protection and making sure that we're doing the right thing with the land. So that's been a big lesson. Tell me about a goal that you achieved and one you're still working on. Well, my body doesn't work real well, okay? And um, I have to have assistance in walking. And so I've actually invented a device that helps me get around that we're in the process of marketing but um, I've had people ask me, how come I'm not suicidal? And the answer that I give them is, I want to see how this turns out. That's my goal, to live a good, long life. You know, as long as I can read and tell a joke once in a while and have some companionship, that's what I'm looking for. So, And we were working on this uh, walker, so it's getting off the ground a little bit, and that's been... It came about because of a dream, and I was trying to figure out how I could keep my legs in shape, because everybody wants to pull, push, or lift when they're assisting me, and you can't keep going that way because it's almost dangerous. And so I had this dream that showed me how to build this device, and 
that's what we uh, did then and turned it into a situation that we got patented and the process of that. And now we actually have some supply that uh, we've given out to people that are in need of that situation. So um, we just gave one away three weeks ago to a month ago to a young lady that's never walked. She has cerebral palsy and she's 18 years old. Um, she is now walking on her own, unassisted, uh, 10 minutes a day. So it works. The dream worked, and that's an exciting thing. So want to have a long life and uh, do something that's for the good of mankind. That sounds pretty Pollyanna, but that's true, and we want to see how far this walker will go. Oh, that's incredible. So you've, you've made some significant process, progress with that walker, and that is an idea that came to you just in a dream. Three o'clock in the morning, literally in a dream, trying to fix my legs and keep them in shape. And quite frankly, the device has probably kept me out of a wheelchair the last two years um, because I can get in that and I'm completely independent and I can walk on my own. So I don't need anybody pushing me or pulling me and... and uh, Krista or my wife will go with me on a walk, and and uh, I don't need their assistance. They're just with me. So it, it, the name of the company is Freedom to Roam, and when I get in that, almost every time it feels so wonderful to have the freedom. So I need to add inventor to the list of uh, descriptive words about you. Well, I guess, yes. <laughs> have you had other ideas that come to you in dreams? Yes. 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 My first surgery when I was 21 was monumental in the fact that they said I'd probably be a quadriplegic and blind, and I knew that I wasn't going to be. I just had so much faith, and since then there has been a tremendous amount of experiences that have happened to me, where I can not see the future, but sort of read what's, what might happen. That's happened 40, 50 times regarding people and individuals, groups. Um, so that intuition, I think we all have it. We don't always take advantage of it because we're not sure that it's real. But I'm here to tell you, just let it go and it's real. So is that intuition, is that something that came very natural to you, or is that something that you learned over time? Um, both answers would be yes, okay. um, but it happened profoundly after my first surgery. Things started happening. Do you think that's ESP, or do you think that's really something that you've developed in your, in your intuition, your ability to process information that you see? I wish I could give you an answer. Okay. I don't know. It's ESP maybe or an intuition that's right there that, like I said, we've all got it if we just use it. I need to pay attention more times to what happens because sometimes it's right there in front of you. The answers are so easy to, to get. I think a lot of people are too busy in processing what they see and what they experience in the outside world. And a lot of times people don't pay attention to that inside voice, that intuition, that 
whatever that that's right whatever that is that's right. that gives us those those leads that information about people that information about how we can predict what's going to happen right well, everybody uh, people are in such a big hurry to get someplace they don't even want to go and so as a result they're not thinking about what is coming through their brain that's my theory we need to slow down I would agree and I need to listen to myself on that some days <laughs> hard to take our own advice sometimes yes it is I know that as a medical professional, so I'm a physician. Yes. Uh, so many times I've had, you know, some problem or some issue, or even with someone in my own family, and I had to stop and think, what advice would I give a patient on this? And then to follow that advice is yes. the next hard too bad. thing. Too bad. But I think we all do that in some way or another that we don't necessarily follow our own advice right. or our own perceptions. So after I graduated from Iowa State, um, I went to work at a bank, my first job. I was there three and a half years approximately. Um, I realized that that was not going to be my career and I started my first business in 1979 and I've been basically my own uh, boss, if you will, since then. So I've had three times where I actually went on disability because my body was just caving in and uh, the last time I went to tell Social Security that I was going to leave disability, they said, you've done this twice already. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I said, yes, I, I, wanna, I don't want to break the rules. I want to make, uh, I want to work more hours than I'm allowed to work. So that's not necessarily an attribute. Working those hours has sometimes knocked me down pretty hard. So I'm trying to control how many hours I work and honor the disability. Would you say that the limitations that your body puts on you are a major factor in the work that you've done or more that you have made those accomplishments despite the limitations of your body? Well, I've made the accomplishments in spite of my body, but also those, uh, the things, if you will, that I've accomplished are because of what happened to me. I, I, would, I always am talking to somebody about, I wonder what I'd be like if I hadn't had this health issue. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, my wife and I were married 16 years before our first and only child came along. And when he was 12, I went into full code and he had to do a lot of things for dad that most kids never have done and shouldn't have to do. But it's made him a better person, I believe. So uh, it's made me a better person. I'm sure that if I was like the rest of my family, my brother and dad, uh, they were very big, strong people. I might have been a bully. I would hope not, but uh, you know, I, I've been small and in size because of the surgery, and I've had to negotiate and learn how to get along with people in, from the standpoint of negotiations and uh, mediation. They're all products of who we are, um, you know, flaws, genetics, illnesses, and all. And, you know, some people would say that you've overcome quite a lot in what you've done, and that is true from one perspective, and in, from another perspective, you've done very well, period. You've just done very well. You've done a lot of great things. Thank you. I'm not done. 
Very good. What was your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? My greatest failure came about because of my health. All right. I was going to Iowa State. 1974, I was Visha Parade Chairman when Visha was something. And uh, that was a big job. And my health was failing me, and I ultimately had the surgery in June of 74. And I had a professor, uh, Dr. Dave Lent, in journalism, who woke me up one day after class because I had fallen asleep in his class, and everybody had left. And he said, what are you, are you okay? And I said, I'm just exhausted. And so he wanted to hear my story, and I said, I think my body's failing me. I can't do school and visa. Um, so lo and behold, he introduced me to a man by the name of Carl Hamilton the next day. And the three of us put our heads together, and they made it so that I didn't have to go to class again. And that's not great. That was the failure as far as I, I wish I... I wish I would have learned more in college than I did, but I had some good breaks not having to learn all that stuff because I just couldn't do it. Physically and mentally, I was so worn out. So there are times I wish I would have gotten a better education than what I did. I got a different kind of education, there's no doubt, but um, I'm going to call that my failure. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? The hardest thing that I've ever done was during the farm crisis, advising some people that they should leave what they love. I had those successes, but not every one of those families were able to sustain the farm operation. And sometimes they just needed to have a uh, conversation with somebody that, maybe they trusted or that wasn't their banker or their attorney suggesting that it was never going to work. And so let's figure out how to make the best out of it. Those were tough discussions. Those are the things that wore me out, that probably took a toll on my body more than I know. It took a toll on your brain and your heart. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. trouble with your body as well. Yeah. I had what I called... Uh, the Kleenex question. Underneath my chair, I kept a box of Kleenex. And when I, the first meeting, I would always want the entire uh, family to be there to hear everything I had to say. And after about an hour, I would get up and excuse myself and say I had to go to the bathroom, which I didn't always. But I wanted to have them uh, talk about me and see if they were trusting me. And 95% of the time when I came back in the room, there was more information that they would give because they were trusting me, I guess. And so then I would put my pad down and generally the patriarch of the family was on my right side. That's how we sat and it was just the way it was um, by chance almost every time. Um, and so then when you could see the pent-up demand or the demand from the mother or the matriarch, she usually has her arms crossed. And she's sitting there. She knows all these answers, and she's frustrated. And so then I will ask the patriarch, 
how you're dealing with the stress. And they're not used to having such a direct question. This is after I've left the room and come back. And explosions. That's when I pull the Kleenex out because tears, uh, snot, I mean, it's pretty graphic. And they cry and cry. And the wife with folded arms will say, it's about time. And that happened countless times, over and over and over again. And then we would get to the point where we could talk about some of that with the family. And uh, I have a degree in sociology and a degree in business, so they helped each other along as, as good as they were, considering I wasn't one class. But uh, that's kind of how we got to the bottom of it, and we were very fortunate to have many of those situations that were dire that were fixed. So you had many of these long and difficult discussions, and it sounds like you kind of had down to a science what, what needed to happen on them, I, at least a process. For I them. had a process involved initially whenever I was dealing with a company, whether it was ag or downtown, I would use a bank financial statement it, approved by the American Bankers Association. I think it said at the bottom. And there were a few times in the beginning where I realized that people weren't liking that. Uh, they thought that maybe I was in the pocket of the bank. So what I started doing at that point is I just used a eight and a half by 14 legal pad to put down the assets and liabilities and develop some cash flows and, uh, by doing that, it allowed me to think hard about what I'm writing down, and it, it created more opportunity for questions because I was actually thinking, not just wrote from the financial statement. What's a lesson that you learned from an unexpected source? I have been very fortunate in my life to have many great mentors. I'm at the age now where I'm not getting mentors helping me anymore. I'm supposed to be doing that on the flip side, I guess. Uh, I try. An unexpected source. I had, uh, once, I had a man that was mentoring me, and his, I said, I know, I know, I know. He, he was really challenging me. And he came across the table holding himself up with the palms of his hands, and he said, Louie, do you really know? And I thought, you know what, maybe I don't. So I think about that every day. Literally, when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I will, somewhere in the conversation, I will have that thought process, like, humble, be humble, you don't know. You can't, you can't comprehend what's in their brain. Don't preconceive. Let them tell you rather than guessing. I don't always do the best of that, but that's, that's in my daily thoughts. What's the best advice you were ever given? Best advice. There's a lot of that out there that I've had. Uh, my grandfather lived a mile from us when I was growing up. He was a farmer as well. And he'd had some health issues when he was young. And so he was not as physical as my dad, who was doing the farming. 
And so Grandpa and I got to spend a lot of time together. I said, Grandpa, how was the meeting? And he said, well, Bobby, there was a lot of words said, but not much spoken. Okay, I learned that from him. Um, he had all sorts of little phrases that he used from the Ozarks. He was born in Lebanon, Missouri. So he was always giving me some advice. Uh, one thing he said, if you love somebody, uh, you can be happy living in a tent. So, you know, that was one of the things he said and talked about integrity and doing the right thing. And I learned that from everybody that I've family that, you know, that takes a lifetime to build a reputation one day to ruin it. So believe me, I've not done everything right, but I've tried to live a good life saying no on things that would probably benefit my pocketbook if I said yes, but by doing the right thing, I say no and I can sleep at night. What's the worst advice you ever received? Um, you should move to Dallas, Texas. <laughs> the farm economy was failing in Iowa, and I ended up moving to Dallas with my wife, and with our bad luck, I guess, followed us because the savings and loan crisis happened just a few months after I was there. And uh, I was in the real estate business in Dallas, and it became a bloodbath for so many people. I had to do everything I could to put food on the table. What is your personal motive or purpose? I always like it when a politician says, because I want to make a difference. <laughs> I think that's an honest answer. That's really, I hope, what it is. I want to make a positive difference in this world. Somehow, some way. That's my prayer every morning and every night. Money doesn't motivate me like some people. I want to do some things financially that give me a good time, if you will, and, um, you know, hobbies and that type of thing. But what's one specific thing, maybe not your greatest achievement, but something that you feel particularly good about accomplishing? turning this company around. When I came in, I could give you the gory details about how desperate the financial situation was, and most people would say file bankruptcy. But I was able to get it turned around, and now 35 people have jobs because of that success. And it wasn't me doing it alone. I got, the owner was very cooperative. He knew that I was his last best hope, so, um, but it was my ideas that got it off the ground and helped it survive. What's something that I haven't asked you about or people don't generally ask you about that you think people should know about you? That is a good question. I have a question that I ask a lot of people when I'm finished uh, talking about their situation that I've asked a lot of questions now, what have I not asked that I should have? So you're right there on the spot with that. My brother was, he's seven years younger than I am. He was diagnosed with brain or with um, cancer, very severe prostate cancer that metastasized in the bones. He was diagnosed with that six years ago about now. And he was given, um, 
five years at that point. And you wouldn't know if he walked in today that he has cancer. He gets around so well. He's in remission. It happened to be his birthday, the week that he was diagnosed. And my brother Tracy and his husband Rick and my wife Chris and I went out to eat. And he was starting to go down the path of, um, what do I do? You know, who am I? What is this all about? And he asked me two questions. He said, how have you dealt with it all the years that you've been dragging your body? And I said, you know, I don't know. People ask me that, and I don't even question it until they ask me. And then I think, why? I mean, I don't really want to think about it. I just want to keep moving forward if I can. And some days it's really difficult. So I don't know the answer to that one. And the next question he asked was, do you believe in God? Yes, I told him very much so. I couldn't have gotten through this if I didn't have a faith in afterlife, in God, and whatever it is, the great mystery. That has been something that has gotten me through. And people don't ask that question very often about what is it that I have that haven't asked. But that's that's the big one. Thank you for that. You commented on that question, and I'll tell you that's one I use as a physician too. A lot of times when I'm I'm asking my patients about what's mm, going what's going on with them, and well, you know, sometimes you don't get the right information because you don't ask the the right, right question. Right. Absolutely. If, if I haven't come up with the question and I ask for that question sometimes just asking what additional information do do I need or what question did I not ask you it gets a lot of what's your uh, specialty I mean pediatrics some of the things I think we learned from you today uh, include just you know that, that humble attitude that you bring to everything you don't know um, or maybe you do or you don't sometimes know if you know your interest in making a positive difference in the world and using the abilities that you have to do that. Um, and you've definitely done that in a number of different, uh, different settings, so it's really great to hear about that from you today. Thank you so much for being on the Professor Anyone podcast today. Thank you. Um, and I'll just close with a little story that I like to tell. I like to paraphrase the words of one of my college professors who told me, if I don't you know, if you don't like something that I've done, tell me about it face to face. Tell me about it. Uh, if you like what I've done, tell everybody. So this is my way of telling my listeners: send me a message if uh, if you have some constructive criticism for this podcast or how I can make it better. And that might even include having you as my guest on this podcast. If you like what you what you hear on this podcast, please tell your friends and everybody. Post good reviews for us on on social media so that everybody can learn to enjoy the Professor Anyone podcast. Louie, thank you again for for coming on the podcast today. It's thank been you, great Doctor. Talking to you. Thank you.